Well, man, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. If you're a guest or you just started last, come the last couple weeks, I'm David. I'm the pastor. I hadn't preached the last two weeks. The guys did a great job. I was on vacation uh, one of those weeks, and then last week I just didn't preach. Uh, some of you fairly new. I preach about 40 or so times a year, and the other guys do a great job uh, in that other time. And uh, we usually work, I usually develop preaching schedules about a year out, so I'm working on 2024 right now. And I tell you that because at that time I also worked on when, this is ridiculous, that's a really nice shirt you got on. It's the same one I did. You're not in the same connect group. Born four days apart. And you're wearing the exact same shirt I'm wearing. Like a bunch of middle school girls. That's just embarrassing. I'm walking over, I'm going to preach from this side of the platform today. A couple of old guys trying to think they can wear something like this and look pretty good, and one of us can, so we'll just put it like that. All right. Where was I? Oh, yeah. And I tell you all that because every time I leave, I get rumors hit, okay, where I'm going. I got you. I got you. But understand, I don't just leave on the spur of the moment. Everything's planned out way in advance. So you got to understand that. And so Friday, I'm leaving at 5.15 in the morning. I'm flying out. I'm in Dallas. I'm at Love Field connecting, and my phone's blowing up already about rumors. So let me just deal with the four rumors that I've heard. There's probably more. One I'm not looking for another church, right? I'm never looking for another church. In the eight years, I've never once gone to look for another church. I have churches call me. I always say, I'm not interested. Check back in a couple of weeks, but I'm not looking right now. <laughs> Nor did I, was I going, um, taking a leave of absence. Why would I take a leave of absence? There's no reason. It's called vacation, not a leave of absence. Now this one, <laughs> listen, I hear this one. I get this one. I can understand a little bit. I did not go home to San Antonio to go to my wife's grave to mourn and grieve over her passing. Like, I understand that. I didn't do that. Now, I've been to her grave plenty of times uh, since she passed away in October. And, you know, you know I, I, I miss her. I love her. Uh, I don't say I don't shed a tear when I go. But, you know, mostly I celebrate the fact that she's with Jesus. I celebrate the fact that we had a great, wonderful 40 years. At least I had a wonderful 40 years. Uh, I celebrate the fact that when Christ comes again, she and I will be resurrected. You know, all that stuff. Okay, but the fourth is the best. I don't know who you are, how many of you thought this one up. You ought to be embarrassed when you go home today, look in the mirror and say, I'm not that bright. I'm really not that bright. <laughs> I did not. This is great. I did not go to another. You know this is coming. It's the shirt. It gives away all the good stuff. I did not go to another city to see a lady I met online. <laughs> you had me confused with the different guy who did that. <laughs> And, I, you know, my, my wife, tomorrow, she's been, she passed away four months ago tomorrow. I'm not ready to replace her yet, man. I'm just not looking to replace her in any way, shape, form, or fashion. So here's the deal. Sometimes I just go away, and I don't tell you where I go, because you don't need to know where I go. And if Joe Andrews doesn't know where I'm at, there's a pretty good chance I didn't tell anyone. It's possible I could have told someone. But I didn't even tell Joe, because sometimes I just want to get away from you. <laughs> so here's the thing. Every time I'm gone, please don't make up stories about where you think I'm at, because there's a good chance you're going to be wrong. Now, part of the reason I tell you all that, um, next week's going to be a pretty special service that Brian and I have been, been working on for a little while. Um, it was a year ago, in uh, February 2022, that Debbie was diagnosed with cancer. And so we took this journey together. And, this, uh, and part of it ended, you know, in October. And now uh, I've taken a little bit more of that. And so it's been a year. And so, one, you know, I'm a very private person, obviously, as you probably have gathered by now. 
And, uh, but I'm still your pastor, and sometimes I have to share life with you. And I have, I have to help you understand how to process life sometimes the way I process life. So next week, I'm going to bring a message entitled The Journey. And uh, I'm going to share with you the past year for me and where I'm at today, where God has got me to this point. And then following that, the next week in March, we begin a new series called Believe out of John chapter 20, leading us straight to Easter. Today, I'm going to come to one of my favorite Old Testament passages. I've actually preached on this before, but not quite this way. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, the call of Isaiah. And what I want to share with you and talk to you about is the one who is holy. Because here is really one of the definitive passages to understand one of the most important teachings of all the Old and New Testament is the holiness of God. And here's what I want you to see. And it's kind of a flippant statement, but really it's just simple and true. I want you to get this when you leave here today. God is holy and you and I are not. <laughs> if you'll understand this, it makes life a whole lot simpler. If you'll get this, it makes life process a little bit better. God is holy. You and I are not. So here we do. We come. The first thing we'll talk about is the fact that God is holy. And the holiness of God really is, I think, the central characteristic of God. All of God's attributes and characteristics are equally important. He's loving. He's merciful. He's just. All those things. But it's the holiness of God that really kind of brings them together. In Leviticus 19.2, God says, be holy, for I am holy. Peter repeats that in 1 Peter 1.16. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your shoes, man. You're, the ground is holy. And so here we see, you know, in, in, this, in this book, you've already had five chapters in Isaiah. And, I, and Isaiah is critical. He, he's a prophet that lived in the 8th century B.C. Um, and the, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom of Judah, Isaiah is a writing prophet, one of the prophets who wrote, as is Micah. And Isaiah is probably the most well-known of all the prophets. In the northern kingdom, you have Amos and Hosea, stuff going happening, stuff going on. At this time, there's a mighty, mighty man in the empire of Assyria named Tiglath-Pileser III, known as Pul. He's basically, at the time this occurs, has taken over the northern kingdom of Israel. In Syria, he's not as, he is threatening Judah, but right now he's not there. And Isaiah begins his book just talking about the sin of the people. Then he comes to the sixth chapter and he begins to talk about his calling, his specialized calling. It begins this way. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah died in about 39 or 40 B.C. He was a good king till towards the end, but he was really a good king. So it's, it's, it's the time of his death. And then we see this. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I saw the Lord. Now, the word Lord here, it is the word, you can see the word Lord several times. This is not the, the covenant name of God. We'll see in a minute the word Yahweh. This is the word Lord, Adonai. It, it's just a reference to the deity. And he's high and exalted. I mean, in his place where he belongs, of worship and adored, he is in the temple, whether Isaiah is in the temple when he has a vision or the vision just takes him there or whatever, it doesn't matter. But he's seeing this unbelievable presence of God, and, and God is so vast, so big. It's not that the Lord is just in the temple. It's just the Lord is so vast that his, his robe, the, 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 the train of his robe fills it, the magnificence of God. And in verse 2, we see this, and above were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. The word seraphim means the fiery ones. And these are angelic beings, specially designed and created by God. We see them here. They have six wings. And, and some go into great detail about what that means to cover their eyes or cover their feet. It really doesn't matter. In fact, you read four different commentaries, you probably get six different opinions. You know? 
There's these fiery created beings, but what's important is what happens next. In verse 3, we see this. They were calling to one another. They were singing back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's a beautiful song. They just kept singing over and over and over. Uh, a large part of my ministry, beginning in 1980, until like the last 10 or so years, there's these things we had, these things called the music wars in a lot of churches. This church may have had it, but they had it before I came. Changing music, going from traditional to contemporary, and for a while we had this thing called a blended service that ticked everybody off so it seemed fair, you know, a little bit of everything. And I remember I'm in Bridgeport, and um, now last church, and I had, I had one of these old ladies that just mean, you know. We don't have any here in this service, but these ladies was just... <laughs> It's just mean, you know. She pretended to be all nice and swore me in. And she's come up to me and said, I just don't like those 7-Eleven songs. Do you know what those 7-Eleven songs are, Pastor? I want to say, of course I know what those are. I've been in ministry 25 years, you old hag. Of course I know what they are. <laughs> she said, no. Please tell me. What is a 7-Eleven song? And she says, it's just seven words repeated 11 times. <laughs> I said, you mean like, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, which in the Hebrew is six words. Eight, if you count holy, repeated three times, said three times. You mean like that song that pleases God? And from then on, she hated me. <laughs> it's a beautiful song. The word holy comes from a word that means to be separated. And it carries the idea of sacredness. It's really the concept of being cut, to be cut, to be separate. And, it, and it's not... Separated from us, separated towards. And in time, this word holy, kadash, came to have the idea of that which is sacred. It's not common. Like you and I are just common people. It's not profane. You and I, the profane, secular, flawed. And it came to represent that we have a God who is without flaw, without imperfection. He is totally perfect. And because of that, morally, ethically, he is always totally perfect. And so holiness carries the idea of moral purity, of righteousness. All those things are wrapped up into this beautiful word. And they're just saying, holy, 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 holy is the Lord Almighty. And the word Lord here is the word Yahweh. It's the covenant name. It's the name that God gave to Moses. When he said, what do I tell the people? What do I tell them your name is? Say, Yahweh is Yahweh. I am who I am. It's the God who is. He's their God. And he's the almighty God. Some of your versions have the, the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. Um, normally I read from the New American Standard Version. Because it's from a literal standpoint of translating from the Hebrew or Greek into English, it does the best job. But a lot of times in the Old Testament I read from the NIV because in translating Hebrew it gets a little hard at times to get it smooth. And so, and this is one of those times where the NIV is a little bit better. And it says just the Lord Almighty. It comes from the concept of an army. An army that goes out to war and wins. Um, there are times in the Old Testament the angels are called the heavenly hosts, the mighty ones, the, up, the above ones. And so in time it just began to be of the one who had the most power, the most might, the most awe, the most greatness is the almighty. So the, the holy one, Israel's God, is the almighty one. Now, he's the only God that exists, I realize. But they believed back then, there were surrounding nations and all sorts of gods and goddesses that they created in their imagination. And so this is just a reminder that whatever people may come up with, this God, the only God, is the one who is almighty and holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not just the temple, but the whole earth is full of the glory of God. Now, the word glory here, it means weighty. And there are sometimes the word used for glory in the Old, and especially the New Testament, means brilliance, the Shekinah. 
a kind of glory of God. And, uh, but here it's just heavy. It's like just the word, like if, if you got gold, you want heavy gold. <laughs> you want a lot of gold. You want gold to weigh a lot. Some of you ladies got some really pretty gold-plated things. The gold-plated means there's not much gold. But if your husband really loves you, it's heavy gold. Heavy, heavy. Weighty. God is heavy. And that heaviness symbolized the value of God, the weight of God. And God is holy. And, and, and the whole earth is full of the heaviness, the weight of God. It's this beautiful song. They're singing about God. You can't sing anything else. The verse four says this. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Reminiscent of Acts chapter 2. The, 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 the shaking and the smoke symbolized the power and presence of God. This awesome power and presence. Where is the holiness of God exists, there is the power and presence of God. Where there is the power and presence of God, there is the holiness of God. It is magnificent. And the thing about the holiness of God is that sometimes we just... We know it, we just kind of skim past it because we're focused on things like he's love and he's just and he's merciful. And those are all equally important. I get that. But sometimes when we live in a world where they look at the love of God and they, they think love by their own standards in mind. And so they don't get what love really means. And so they wonder, how can God be loving when there's all this evil and stuff? How can God be just? How can you say God is merciful when so many people suffer? And it's because you're missing the point is you don't start with the love and mercy of God. You start with the holiness of God. You start with understanding that God is totally holy. To understand God, you need to begin with the holiness of God. That's where you begin. You begin with the God who is holy. And I know some things in the Old Testament are hard. I get it. I know that the people of Israel had to go in and kill all the Canaanites. I know. I struggled. I get that. But when I begin with the fact that God is holy, I may not fully understand it, but I begin to process it. And okay, God, I see exactly where you're coming from. We honor God. We talk about all the time. We want to honor God in everything we do because he's holy. We worship God. We're up here worshiping God today. The, you know, the band did a good job, but they're part of worship. I'm doing my part of worship. Why do we worship God? He's holy. Why do I follow Jesus? Because holy God sent Jesus to save me from my sins. That's why I do everything because God is holy. So the first thing is God is holy. The second thing I want you to see is you and I are not. We got to understand we are not. And we, in our mind, we say, oh, I know that. But yeah, we got to really understand that. In these next few verses, we are introduced really to the concept of grace. The word grace is not used, but the concept of grace is there. Grace is God's kindly disposition towards us. It's God doing for us that which we do not deserve to have done for us. So here's, here's Isaiah. He's already a prophet, man. He, he, he's got all of Judah, you know, He's the guy. He knows he's got to do all this. And all of a sudden, he sees this unbelievable holiness of God. And he knows, you know, he knows the Old Testament history. He knows what's already been written. He knows the law. He knows all the stuff he's supposed to know. He knows all that. But, man, this hits him. He knows he's sinful because he does all the sin offerings. But this hits him. And he says this in verse 5. He says, woe is me. I'm ruined. The word ruined means to, to, to be silent or to be destroyed. I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among people of unclean lips. He's not going to talk about himself. He's talking about the people because he's part of the people and he's their prophet. And he's saying, our lips are unclean. The word unclean means to impure. It means sinful. He is broken because he realized we're a broken people. It's not just that we do some wrong things. We are totally and completely, whoa, we're ruined. This is how bad it is. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Now, 
In the Old Testament, it talks sometimes about you can't see God if you see God to die. So when God, you know, gave Moses the Ten Commandments, Moses could only see the backside of God because if he saw his face, he couldn't live. And some think there's this idea that he has seen God, he thinks he's going to die, but really contextually that doesn't make sense. What he's, what he's saying is this. Here is this holy presence of God, and I'm in that presence, and I've seen it. And when I saw God, I realized who I am. I realized what I am. I realized who you are. And I realized what you are. We're sinful, broken people. And in the grace of God, he didn't, he didn't come up with this before he saw this vision of God. It was after the vision of God. After God in his grace appeared to him, he said this. And then here's what we see. One of the seraphim flew to me. And a live coal in his hand. He had taken with tongues from the altar. Now, we don't know which altar it is. And people debate the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering. It doesn't matter. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. I've touched the uncleanliness of your life. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now, it wasn't just a feeling of guilt. It was the condition of guilt. You are full of guilt. You are guilty. That seraphim said, because you confessed, and really what he did is repented, even though the technical word's not used. Because by the grace of God, you repented of the sin. It's taken away. Not that you earned it. Not that you deserved it. Not that God is obligated to do it, even because you repented, because he is a God of grace. And not only that, your sin is atoned for. One of the key concepts in the New Testament is that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for sin. He cleanses us. He puts us and makes us right with God. Hey, Isaiah, you're right with God now. In all your brokenness, in all your failure, in all your rebellion, you're right with God. We live in a day when people don't like to admit the personal nature of sin. I know that. I deal with it all the time. No, people are flawed and make mistakes and they struggle. And there's evil in the world because evil is this force that battles the force of good and good and evil battle each other, kind of like a, you know, a Marvel movie or something, like whatever, Ant-Man's out. I'm sure it's evil versus good. It's always evil versus good. But it's more than that. In the Old and New Testament, it says we sin against God. We rebel against God. That's the word I, I usually use the word rebel. If, if, if the common culture doesn't like to hear the word sin, okay, I'll use the word rebel. It's the same thing. I don't care. You rebel against God, I rebel against God. And because of that rebellion, we need to experience the holiness of God. But too often, people never experience the holiness of God. And so here's what happens. People who deny the sin are the ones who never recognize or experience the holiness of God. That's, if you experience the holiness of God, you're going to know you're sinful. And the only reason I really know I'm sinful, I mean, I'm truly sinful, is because I've experienced the holiness of God. And he works in your life, and he works in my life, and he deals with us there. And every one of us are like Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm unclean. And I'm sinful. And I'm broken. And I rebel. Why would God ever want anything to do with me? It's because he's holy. That's why. And he deals with his grace. And with that grace from holy God, 
comes repentance. That I can turn from my sin and I can find God because God has found me. God is holy. You and I are not. We can say it in our head, but sometimes we have to say it from in here and know he's holy God. So the third thing I want to share with you is this, and yet the Holy One calls you and I. This is the third Sunday of uh, February. In 1978, I was like four. I was 16. <laughs> try to do the math sometimes. Almost 17. Almost 17. Um, that third Sunday, I was in church, Park Hills Baptist. It was an invitation time. It was the third stanza. We were singing just as I am. If you're not from around Southern Baptist world, you may not know this song. Third stanza goes just as I am without one plea. Uh, but I, uh, though, just as I am, though tossed about, many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings within and fears without. Only of God I come, I come. And in that third stanza, I had not planned to do this. I had not thought about doing this. But I just walked forward and I surrendered my life to ministry. So I'll be pastor. I had no idea why I did that. I went home. Now, this is one of those rare occasions where my mama wasn't at church. My sister was sick. One of my sisters must have been sick. So I went home. I told her what I did. She says, you what? You could not wait till I was there before you went down to surrender to something as important as being a pastor? You did that without me. What are people going to think that I wasn't there? Like, I don't know, Mom. It was just like the Holy Spirit. And I, why are you mad at me? Why don't you get mad at God? Because you're the one who could have waited. <laughs> I still think about that. <laughs> it's crazy. But he did that. I had no idea why he called me. I, I never thought about it. He just did. That call was so important in my life. Because early on in ministry, when you struggle, when you have conflicts and fears within and without, and you don't know why you're doing this, that call kept me grounded. He calls all of us in life because of his grace. None of us deserve it. There's no reason for you to be saved. There's no reason for you to follow Jesus. There's no reason for you to live a life serving God. Verse 8, this is amazing. He said, I heard the verse of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And he wasn't just asking in general because there was only one person there. So I say it. Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who's going to go? And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. God, send me. It's one of the great paradoxes of life, really, that we rebel against holy God. We're in this conflicted relationship with holy God. And then God says, but I want you to come to me. I want to save you from your sin. And I want you then to serve me and help other people come as well. It's an amazing thing. And all because of the holiness of God. It's God's holiness. See, here's the thing about the holiness of God. It's beautiful. God has not revealed his holiness to us to destroy us, but to save us ultimately in Christ. The purpose of you and I knowing that God is holy is not that we might be destroyed. It's not that we might be condemned. It's not that we might feel guilt. It's that we might come to God. Come to the Holy One who calls us. And to find forgiveness and to serve Him. 
I have people all the time tell me, you know, I just don't feel like God can save me. I understand. I can see why you can feel that way. I don't know how God could love me or forgive me. I think, I don't know how he could do it either. I'm looking at you. I don't know how he can do that. I didn't know how he did it for me either. And it's amazing when you think that I'm standing here preaching in front of you, really. There's so many guys who are so better at this than I am. I mean, I know guys, they are, they are so much more pastoral than I am. They're so much more holy looking act the part than I do. I get that. Some of them are wearing a tie right now. I mean, they're really good. <laughs> and I know guys who preach you love Jesus like, man, I wish I loved Jesus like you. They love their people. I wish I could love you like they love, love you. And that doesn't make sense. I'm thinking, stand here, I'm thinking, here I am, Lord. I know, I know this about me. I'm arrogant. I have a quick temper. Oh, man. I can, at times, be so stubborn. I'm harsh, be crude at times. I cuss way too much, especially when I'm driving. Way too much. I'm irreverent, sarcastic, rebellious. And according to Debbie, those were my good points. <laughs> and God said, but that's the one I want. I want that cat right there. That's him. And here's the amazing thing. Same way with you. You know better than me. You can start listening to all the things in your life right now. If you're married, your spouse, especially guys, you know your wife can. And your mother-in-law surely can. They can all listen, man. But you know what your life is like. And it's an amazing thing. Then in the midst of all of that stuff, God says, but I, I want you. I really want you. I want you to, to repent of your sin and be forgiven. And then there's something I want you to do. No, you're not going to come speak up here. No, you're not going to do that. But there's something he wants you to do. And you can say, well, I'm too broken. Okay. Or I'm too sinful. All right. I'm too this. I'm too that. So what's your point? Because the holy God can take your life. And he can change it. He can save you. He can use you. And he can do it to the people you love and the people you care about and even the people you don't like. And here's the thing. It's not whether or not God can or will fix broken people. It's whether he can restore them, and he can. And it's whether he will use them, and he will. Because that's what holy God does. That's what holy God does. In the grace that only he has. And he did it for Isaiah. And he did it for me. And he'll do it for you. It was the year that Uzziah died. So his experience begins. It was about 740, 739 B.C. The Assyrians were running all over the place. Isaiah, according to 2 Chronicles 26, excuse me, Uzziah, according to 2 Chronicles 26, had been a really good king. Oh, he's good. He loved the Lord. He expanded, expanded the nation. He conquered the enemies of God. 
He did all these great things. But there came a time he just forgot. He forgot and he went to the temple. And I'm the king, man. He's 42 years into a 52-year job, man. I'm the king. And he walks into the temple and he takes the incense. Now, the king could do a lot of things, but he couldn't go into the temple and burn incense. But Uzziah said, I can burn incense. That belonged to the priests. They were holy, but Uzziah said, I'm going to burn incense. So he started to burn the incense. And the priest came and said, king, you can't do that. He said, oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then God said, no, you're not. And he struck him with leprosy. At that moment, Uzziah could no longer function as king. They took him out and they put him away. He lived another 10 years, but his son Jotham became king over the last 10 years of his 52-year reign, basically. Because Uzziah forgot something very important. The only God is holy. He's not. Don't ever forget that God is holy. You're not. But in the holiness of God, here's what he'll do. He'll save you from your sin. He'll forgive you of everything you've done. And he will use you in ways you never could imagine that your broken, sinful person could ever do those things. So let me ask you this. Do you know that God is holy? And do you really know you're not? In just a moment as we stand here, if you'd like to come, we'll pray with you. We'll talk to you. We'll pray for people you know and love. You can join our church and give your life to Christ. But know this, that all that in your life that is broken and wrong by the grace of God can be restored and put together and fixed. But mostly, what will be done is be forgiven. No matter who you are or what you do, God will use you. And the reason that God will use you is because he is holy, even though you are not. So, Father, in this beautiful passage of Isaiah, where this man is called to serve in ways that are unimaginable, through all his sin and all his fallenness and brokenness. Father, here is truly a picture of your grace based solely on the holiness of God. Let us respond to that grace. Let us respond to that holiness to seek the forgiveness you offer, to seek the salvation that we can have. And then, Father, to respond to serve you in ways only you could call us to. Take us broken as we are for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name, amen. Would you come? We'll be here.